So uh, we have two dogs. Uh, one is big and loves being outside. Her name is Boo. Uh, the other one is very small. Her name is Birdie. And let's just say she prefers the comforts of civilization. Um, so when we call them inside from the backyard, uh, the bigger one, Boo, she never wants to come inside, right? Uh, so at some point, I figured out, though, that I could get her to come in, not just by calling her, right? But I could get her to come inside if I started really loudly showing affection to Birdie inside, right? So I'm in the doorway here, and I'm, like, loving on Birdie, and I'm trying to be loud enough so that Boo outside uh, hears and then wants to run inside and not be left out. Uh, the first time Noemi saw me do this, she's like, oh, bro, that's messed up. <laughs> um, there's this sense that we have that love for the wrong reasons, especially selfish reasons, isn't love at all. Right? Birdie might not know that, but Noemi does. Now, there's something... Um, the lawyer in our passage, I'm not so sure that like, he was able to get this. Uh, he knows the law. He could summarize it. He could parse it out. He could break it down. He could probably give it to you by memory, and that's no small thing, right? Five books of the Bible. But Jesus tells him this parable to show him that, in a way, he's kind of missed the forest for the trees here. So, so the lawyer, he brings to Jesus a question. <clears throat> now, when you, uh, when you see lawyer, uh, don't think of like... Um, a few good men, you know, the, the courtroom scene, whatever. Um, this is uh, an expert in, like, the capital L-A-W law, the, the Pentateuch, the Levitical law, the Torah. He's a Pharisee, and as someone who believes he really loves the law. He knows everything about it. Like, today we might say um, he's like the distinguished professor of Old Testament at a good, at a good seminary, right? And, and you can imagine him there in the crowd... And he's watching all these people just be spellbound by Jesus' teaching. But he thinks he's got an ace up his sleeve with this question, right? The one that's finally going to get Jesus to slip or stumble or give himself away as a fraud or someone who doesn't take the law seriously. That would be the worst thing, right? Because if he doesn't take the law seriously, then he can't really be from God. But Jesus can't be trapped by the law. You can't pit the word of God against the word of God. We try to do this, by the way. Uh, I do this when I'm, I'm reading the Old Testament and uh, I'm in some obscure book or whatever and, and I find something that makes me say like, aha, like I knew, I knew you weren't a God who is gentle and lowly in heart. I knew it. I knew there was some other God hiding behind Jesus. Right, the lawyer doesn't know that he is dealing with the very word of God. And so he brings out his question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is kind of a big kahuna question, right? Like, everyone would have understood what he was asking, um, Sometimes it's, it's called, like, how do you enter the kingdom of God, right? It's what Jesus is describing when he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. How, how, do I, how am I good with God? What does he require of me? 
And this is an idea that Israel had spelled out for them at least as far back as Sinai. After bringing Israel out of Egypt, God established them as a nation and his covenant with them, and he gave them hundreds of laws. And he concluded this covenant with the words in Deuteronomy 29, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Do this and live. Now, this isn't just a question that the Israelites were asking. It's a question that everyone's asking. We not be, might not be asking it uh, with respect to God. Some of us um, outside the church might not be asking it with respect to God, but we, can, we can't shake this idea in ourselves, you know, that, that like we or, or life itself, it needs to live up to something. Right, the, the person who goes and spends like 20 grand on plastic surgery is trying to live. You might think they're doing it because they're vain or shallow or whatever, but the real root reason that person is going under the knife is because somewhere along the way, they heard the whisper, do this and you'll really live. That's why we spend beyond our means. That's why we sacrifice people for jobs and titles and bigger profit margins and salaries. And then other of us, others of us feel this, and we, we get so overwhelmed by that kind of that weight, that demand, and it's too much. The, the weight of that expectation is too much, and so we just, we just check out. We click, we scroll, we watch, we sip. And the longer that goes on, the weightier that expectation gets because we've lost time to numbing out, right? And so we just go deeper into the resignation. So the lawyer, he knows this is a big question. He comes with this big question, and he knows the answer. But he's thinking that Jesus is going to say something other than fulfill the whole Old Testament law. He thinks Jesus is going to give some kind of soft answer. But through the exchange, Jesus just says, yeah, it's, it's fulfilling the whole Old Testament law. Jesus gives full affirmation to the notion that the entire law in the Bible can be summed up as love God and love your neighbor. The law is perfect love. Jesus says this is it. Do this and you will live. This is not what the lawyer was expecting Jesus to say. <laughs> uh, he probably fidgets a little, tries to justify himself, just his posture. Maybe there's a pit in his stomach or he feels this weight through his torso. His mouth gets dry. He wasn't expecting to suddenly feel so insecure. As a Pharisee, right, he's always been esteemed as one of the foremost law keepers in his society. But as Jesus really holds out the fullness of the law's demands, suddenly, for the lawyer, the ground beneath him feels a lot less steady. And so he tries to justify himself. And he asks, but who is my neighbor? Right? He, he wants parameters. Just give me a box to check, a bar to hit, so I can earn my eternal life. 
right? And he, he obviously can't get around the absolute demand of the first commandment to love God. But he tries to seize the opportunity to find a way to lighten the demand of the second commandment. And he has to do this because he's holding on to the fact that his doing these things is going to earn him eternal life. Right? The law is love, but the lawyer wants the law to be like a bar for him to meet so he can get his right standing before God. So he has to ask, where exactly is the bar? But Jesus won't indulge his question. So instead of telling him who is and isn't his neighbor, he invites the lawyer to consider a story. Like, how annoying, right? (laughs) He doesn't want to give him an answer. He wants to show him something else entirely that's going to, like, implode his whole conception of the law. So now, let's, let's now consider the parable. And remember, uh, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Justin talked about this a few weeks ago uh, with another parable. Um, Matthew 13 is kind of a, a key to help us understand, like, what is Jesus getting at? What is he trying to do with these parables? Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus is going to use this parable to show the lawyer that for all his learning about the law, he's totally missed what it's about. All right, so, so the, the parable is simple, right? You have a man, probably a, a Jew, Uh, He's going uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he gets mugged, left for dead, right? Uh, The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, like uh, steep descent, very rugged terrain, would have been a very dangerous road. And, uh, I mean, he's there kind of uh, hung out to dry, to say the least. And uh, you have three people that Jesus says come one at a time. And he brings these figures along in the story in the order of, like, most holy to most despicable. Okay, so um, maybe if we were going to tell it today, we would say something like, okay, you're a student, you get beat up in the hallway after school, and, like, the school nurse and the principal, they walk by and are like, eh. But that annoying kid who always took your gel pens stops by to help you out. I don't know if gel pens are still a thing. They were when I was in middle school. Um, Right, and the, the other thing we can miss here is uh, it, it can be easy to read this parable, and we can kind of throw the priest and the Levite under the bus uh, for being careless. We're like, ah, oh, I wouldn't have done that, you know. Um, but I think we would have said that they did the smart thing. They did the wise and discerning thing by our standards, right? Because you don't know whether this guy is legitimately hurt. I mean, there's a, there's a reason... Like, every zombie or dystopian movie or whatever, it has one of these scenes, right, where somebody's out there, like, pretending to be heard and ask for help, and it actually turns out to be a trap, and, like, you know. Um, so they, they see him, and they do, like, a little risk analysis in their head, uh, and they're like, mm, I don't recognize him. Eh, too bad. Sorry, dude. And they just go on their way. But the Samaritan sees the man, and he has compassion 
it says, his heart was moved. He felt something when he saw. And it was, he was moved to the point where he steps off the path and he puts himself at great risk, risk of falling maybe into the hands of the same bandits. Uh, he eventually puts himself at risk of the innkeeper who could extort him, you know, rack up a serious bill because he basically gave him like a, a blank check. And all of this risk and all of this cost, he takes upon himself. And so you see this contrast, right? You have the, the Levite and the priest. The two guys, like if, if anyone was going to be a good neighbor and fulfill the law, it was going to be them. At least the lawyer would have expected that. But they don't go out of their way. It's the Samaritan, the person who the lawyer would have hated, and I, I, I mean that word fully, would have hated. The Samaritan is the one who is a good, na- a good neighbor to the man left in the road, who's presumably, again, a Jew, and a, they would have been enemies. So, there's the parable. Uh, how does this answer the lawyer's question? Right, Jesus tells the story because the guy wants parameters, right? He wants the bar to earn his like eternal life badge. But Jesus says, I won't do this, right? He says, I'm going to show you like a spirit, an ethos, a way of living, of inhabiting the world, right? Being a good neighbor It's not a list of like who and who not. It's a disposition of your heart. It's a posture. And it's a posture that sees every other human on this planet as worthy of love because they're made in God's image. So the the, the first part of the law, love God with everything you've got, is absolute. And it turns out the second part of the law is as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone around you. Love everyone around you and be as zealous to meet their needs as you are to meet your own. So the lawyer is kind of like taking this in. And he sees this and he, I think he recognizes love now when he sees it in the parable. Because he recognizes that in the Samaritan's actions. And then Jesus concludes with you, go and do likewise. Go and have this spirit of love for all your fellow image bearers, whether Jew, Gentile, slave or free, Samaritan, whatever. And we don't know what the lawyer's response was to that. But I'm thinking um, if he had like a shred of self-awareness, and honesty, uh, he would have immediately felt some despair. Because if he's anything like, the, uh, like us, um, yeah, he, he would have been pretty crestfallen, right? Um, I mean, you think about the demand of this. We live in Albuquerque. Like, people like this guy are, are all over. And we have a hard enough time loving the people in our own church, in our own family. I, I, um, I felt this really keenly this week. Um, so this last weekend, we had a lot of family in town at our house, and it was, uh, 
it was demanding, you know, any time both sides of the family are under the same roof, that's a, that's a lot. And um, so finally, Sunday night, uh, we had our house back to ourselves. And then a few hours later, uh, you know, we take my mother-in-law, or, yeah, we take my mother-in-law to the airport, then we have the house to ourselves. And uh, I got a text from a guy who's just like vaguely connected two or three degrees of connection through RUF, um, asking if we could host eight people <laughs> for, for a night at our house uh, on their way to the Grand Canyon from some PCA churches in Tulsa. And so, like, I get this text, and I'm, I'm getting all peeved um, that they didn't plan more than 24 hours, and, and I'm peeved that we don't get our house back to ourselves, Right? And then, like, I've also been looking at this passage, and so I'm kind of thinking, like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I, I can't even muster up uh, enough love and hospitality for these people who, who are in my denomination. Like, in the grand scheme of types of people, worldviews, beliefs, cultures, whatever, these people are, like, as in my teeny tiny slice of humanity as you can get. They're my tribe, and I found it hard to open my door to them. And I'm like, if I can't love these people, how in the world am I going to go to the UNM campus and, and love people who, who think Christians are like everything that's wrong with the world? Or, or those people who, um, the, the Christians who never seem to have understood or experienced grace, I wonder if the lawyer perhaps realized he didn't even understand the idea of love at all. (laughs) Uh, He was trying to use the first and second great commandments as a way to earn eternal life, to earn his standing before God, but uh, of course, that is failing to understand love in the first place. Right? His question wasn't even like, how do I be a good neighbor? It was more like, "How how do I save my own skin? Right? His, his motives were self-oriented. They would, they would preclude anything that he did from being love in the first place. And, and we know that, that selfish motives behind our acts of love toward others preclude them from actually being love because we're just, we're just using people for our own ends. That's not, that's not love. That's why Birdie, uh, Noemi sees me pretending to love one of my dogs uh, t- for my own ends of getting the other one inside, and she knows that's, that's not right. So all this is to say that, that Jesus told this parable in part to uh, totally disavow this lawyer of the notion that he was ever going to be able to go and do likewise and in- inherit eternal life on account of that doing. Paul says in Romans 3, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
The lawyer wanted to use the law to justify himself, but when Jesus explained the full breadth and depth of the law, when he gave a picture of just how demanding it was, the lawyer realized he had no leg to stand on. It stopped his mouth. He could no longer come up with these little justifications. There's a pit of despair when you land here. When you see the fullness of the law. Psalm 130 recognizes this, says in verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if you actually judged me according to how well I loved you and my neighbors, I would be wiped from the planet. Martin Luther, uh, in his hymn, based on Psalm 130, he called this place of despair the the depths of woe. Uh, We don't use that word much anywhere, but um, let me read some of these lines. It's one of my favorite hymns. He writes, To wash away the crimson stain, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, they're all in vain. In must the best, best life faileth. No man can glory in thy sight. All must alike confess thy might and live alone by mercy. Therefore, my trust is in the Lord, not in mine own merit. Do you see how different of a posture that is from the lawyer as he's sidling up to Jesus and says, who is my neighbor as he's trying to justify himself? Friends, the good news, and we talk about this every week, right? This is, this is the again. We need to hear it again. Is that like the Samaritan, Jesus saw you and he saw me in that pit of helplessness. And he didn't just see, though. He felt compassion. He felt moved with pity toward us. He didn't say, Ah, would you look at these idiots where they've gotten themselves? No. He felt compassion and pity toward them, toward us, toward you. And that love, it moved him toward us. Even though we were his enemies at the time. And he didn't just help us get healed, right? He took our wounding upon himself so that we would be healed. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds we are healed. He made the ultimate surrender to risk in his dying. And when you see this, when you see his mercy, you realize you can, you can lay down your striving. You can stop your striving to earn anything from God, and you can live by mercy and not merit. You can live in a posture of receiving You can bask in mercy. And you ask, well, how does this help me love other people? How does this help me be a good neighbor? Well, when you receive love like this, you you can't not be changed. You're filled with love for the God who loved you while you were his enemy. And this pours out towards others are made in his image. John explains this in his first epistle. 
that the idea of loving God is so bound up with loving others that they can't be separated. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the way, I'll, I'll steal this from Tim Keller, the way to be a good neighbor is to let yourself be neighbored by Jesus. Receive his grace, receive his rescue. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you do, um, but you do. We cling to that promise that you see and you know and you feel compassion toward us and you move toward us. Thank you, thank you. Um, We ask that Holy Spirit, you would help us receive this good news this morning, that it would, um, that it would change us, uh, that we would receive your love for us, um, and that we would lay down our, our ceaseless striving to try to justify ourselves before you. We pray this in the name of the Son. Amen.